Today is uh, exciting day because it's the start of a new sermon series. But here's the other thing for me is like September is the greatest month out of the year. And if you don't believe me, you can fight me over it, okay? Like it is the best month. And the, the reason why it's the best month for me personally is it involves a lot of things that I, I love. Uh, one of them is just the cool mornings. Like I love it when it's below 60 degrees when you wake up in the morning. Like it's just refreshing. The Lord's mercies are new every morning and that cool crisp air reminds me of that. Um, but then it's also nice during the day and it's warm. Um, the fly fishing is phenomenal. The elk hunting is phenomenal because the elk are bugling. And I love to hunt. I love to fish. Anybody else love to hunt and fish this morning? Okay, two of you. That's great. Okay, cool. Um, and, uh, but here's the other thing is it's football season. Like, the greatest sport may be better than baseball. I don't know. I struggle. But baseball's going on right now, too. And there's a playoff hunt. And the Mariners are in the playoff hunt. Right? If they keep choking games away against the Rays, it's just like... Maddening, right? Um, but, but in regards to football, like, football is just an amazing sport. Um, it entails so much physical, emotional, mental, like, every aspect of the game is involved in football. And in, in football, this time of year, um, we just got done with preseason, and now we're in the regular season. And now I get to really ramp up the trash talking with Joe and Joel in regards to how my Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl, because they are. And um, yeah, laugh, I know. I know, I know, every year I hear the laugh. Um, but we're moving out of the preseason into the regular season, and during the preseason, like, they're evaluating players who they want on their roster, but here's what they're doing is they're operating off of their base playbook. Um, it's simple plays, it's vanilla offenses in regards to they talk, but now we're moving into the regular season where there's going to be an expanded playbook, new wrinkles, new things are getting worked out, but every single team has the same playbook in the sense of they have a base playbook that they start with. And that base playbook, as I talked about in our men's breakfast yesterday, is like, really, you should be able to move the ball just with your base playbook. And the reality of this for us as a church is that we as a church, we actually have a playbook. What we say around here is we believe that Jesus is the greatest disciple maker to ever live. Would you agree with that? And so we believe that his message was divine, the gospel, the gospel of the good news, that God's kingdom is ruling and reigning here on earth. We believe his message is divine, but we also believe this, his methodology was divine. Meaning, he's the greatest leader to ever live. He's the greatest disciple maker to ever live. And so if he's called us to be a church that says, go and make disciples, then we should ask ourselves this question, how did Jesus do that? Would you agree? Go make disciples. Okay, Jesus, we're gonna go do that. How should we do that? You should look at my life. And so when it comes to looking at Jesus' life, for us as a, as a, as a, as a church, we, we spend a lot of time asking, what was Jesus like in regards to making disciples? What did he do? What did he prioritize? How did he live life? How did he go about making disciples who make disciples. And really, this sermon series is talking about that. 
is what does it look like from Sunday to Sunday when it comes to making disciples between two Sundays? And the reason why we bring that up is because so often, you guys have heard this, so often in church in America is Christianity is built upon a Sunday experience. And then we leave, and then we get ready for the Sunday experience. And then we leave, and before we know it, it's Saturday. Oh, we gotta get ready for church. Which, there's nothing wrong with that, if that's your understanding of of what Jesus said in regards to following him, like that's maybe the starting point. But the reality is that Jesus is calling us to so much more when it comes to his desire for us to be disciple makers. Would you agree with that this morning? And if he's calling us to that, what is that? What is that life of living between two Sundays? What does it look like from Monday to Saturday as a disciple maker? And what does it look like for us to be a church where we're actually doing life together like Jesus did with his disciples? Over the next three weeks, that's what we're gonna be wrestling with as we look at what is it that Jesus calls us into? And are we living that out? And if not, what adjustments can we make to align ourselves to more and more like him. Luke chapter 5, I'd love for you to turn there. Jesus has been going around and, and teaching, and his name is becoming known. It's the early, early, early part of his ministry. And as uh, he's becoming more and more known in the midst of teaching, his name is growing. And so people knew of who Jesus was but he hadn't officially, what I would say, started the process of really digging in with people, but he's about ready to. And in Luke chapter 5, in the midst of being in the area of the Galilee, it says this in chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by Lake Gennesaret, uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Anybody ever gone fishing all day and all night and not caught anything? And you're like, just one more cast. Peter's like, I ain't doing one more cast, right? Like, I, I haven't caught anything. I'm, I'm good. But, Lord, Lord. So, he's already beginning to understand who Jesus is. But if you say so, Master, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. If you ever want to hear a fishing story, that's a fishing story, right? It's like, no, dude, I'm serious. This really happened. The fish went from here to here to here on size, right? This really happened. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Everybody say people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. 
culturally. Uh, the Jews at this time knew that Jesus was a special teacher, even what we would call a rabbi. And so as we look at this passage, some of you might be saying, this guy said, like, follow me, and these guys just left everything and followed him. That's kind of weird, right? It's weird to us, but to them it wasn't weird. Because for a rabbi to call you, to come up to you and say, come follow me and I'll make you into a fisher of men, was a very common calling that a rabbi would give to potential disciples. He would call them and say, come follow me, and they would drop everything and they would leave. Why? Because in their cultural context, to be called by a rabbi was the greatest calling that there was. For us, we ask our kids every single year, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, sometimes it's a lawyer, sometimes it's a doctor, sometimes it's a pro football player. Like, it's all these callings that are really, really big. My son, he wants to work at McDonald's. Theo, seven years old, what do you want to be? I want to work at McDonald's. It's starting to get better, though. <laughs> the calling's getting higher. Um, but for them, to be called by a rabbi was the greatest calling. Did you notice the, his parents and everybody else? There's no, like, hesitation. It's like, go. Uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, as they left, his parents probably would have went home and told his wife, his husband, dad would have told his wife, said, you're never going to believe what happened today. Our boy got called by a rabbi. And the family just would have been thrilled. And so Jesus looks at Peter and Andrew, James and John, and says, come, follow me, and I'm going to make you into fishermen. And Jesus continues to call other disciples, not just these four, but a total of how many disciples did he call? A total of 12. Who are these 12? Let's take a look at them. Peter, James, Andrew, John, Philip, Bartholomew. That's a great name. You ever want to, anybody having kids soon? That's a good one, right? No? Not buying it. Okay. Matthew, doubting Thomas, right? The guy at the end of, of Jesus' ministry where he died and resurrected, and they're like, Jesus is alive. Thomas is like, dude, if I don't see the holes in his hands, holes in his feet, I ain't buying it. And then, boom, Jesus shows up. Thomas, here I am. And he's like, Lord. <laughs> It's you. You are alive. Doubting Thomas. James, Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. And unfortunately, we know the story of Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. But out of the 12, there were three that Jesus was closest to. Who are they? James. John. Who else? Peter. Jesus was closest to these three. But not only these three, there were others. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Who is this? This is a family, sisters and brother, that honestly spent a ton of time with Jesus, that was hospitable to Jesus many, many times. Some people even say that this family was very wealthy and most likely funded the majority of Jesus' ministry. A little family that lived in Bethany, two miles outside of Jerusalem. Most likely when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he probably stayed at their house. This is a, a, an amazing family that Jesus spent a ton of time with. And in fact, uh, even says that Mary and Martha sat at the feet of Jesus. That's a phrase to say that they were disciples of Jesus. Followers of him. And Jesus was a significantly close to these people, all of these people. But I would argue this is Jesus was not only close to all of these people, these were his closest, closest friends, disciples, 
But if you go look at the, all the Gospels, no matter where Jesus interacts with people, it seems like Jesus is always cultivating real relationships that are built on truth and trust. Everybody say truth. Trust. trust. These relationships that are cultivated on truth and trust. Peter, James, John. Why did he choose these three? We actually don't know the reason why he chose these three. Why he invested more into them than he did the other 12. We don't know the clear reasons as to why, but what we do know is what Jesus did with them. Jesus showed these three more about who he was and what he was up to more than anybody else. Mark chapter 5, Sea of Galilee. Jesus heals Jairus' daughter, a synagogue leader who comes to Jesus and said, will you please heal my daughter? She is sick. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. If you know how the story goes, Jesus resurrects this girl back to life. And after he does that, verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. What did Jesus do with Peter, James, and John? He allowed them to see things that not everybody else was able to see about who he was. And then he did something pretty incredible. He said, please don't tell anybody else. Have you ever said to somebody, this is who I am, and this is what I'm wrestling with, and I'm asking you not to share this with anybody else? Have you ever done that? I have. For Jesus, this is a pretty transparent and vulnerable moment for him. Because here's the thing, if they go around telling people that he's resurrected from the dead, resurrecting people from the dead, all sorts of commotion's gonna break out. And as you know, people are gonna start flooding Jesus more and more and more. But Jesus is waiting and waiting and waiting for that moment where he's gonna go on the cross. Why? Because he's got three guys, 12 people that he needs to invest in to get ready for when he leaves. Are you with me this morning, church? And so Jesus is intentionally investing in these guys, but he's saying, this is who I am, and I need you guys to keep it quiet. What if they wouldn't have done that? It's a pretty vulnerable moment for Jesus. Not only in regards to that, but later on, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. They go up on a mountain. They're hanging out in the Sea of Galilee. They go up to Mount Tabor. And it says that after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with them and led them to a high mountain where they were all alone. Then he was transfigured before them. Another way to put it is he got lit up like a Christmas tree. And they're like, what's going on? We need to build buildings here and worship and just be with you, Jesus. Verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone 
what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. What did Jesus do? He's cultivating real relationship, helping them understand truth and trust. What's the truth? I am not like the teachers of today. I am different. And I'm not like the prophets of old. I am the Messiah. That's the truth. And the trust, please don't tell people who I am. He entrusted an important message of who he was to other people. He's trying to show them what real relationship looks like. Why did Jesus cultivate this real relationship? A couple of reasons why. Number one, I think Jesus needed close friends. I think Jesus needed close friends. I think the weight of ministry was heavy on Jesus, and he needed to help them learn how to carry that ministry, but I also think he needed close friends to help minister to him in the midst of that difficulty. Not only did the Father minister to Jesus, but I believe that Jesus is looking for close friends to help him carry the weight of ministry. I love the if gathering says this, there was an increasing trust that grew between four men that resulted in a greater bond and a deeper intimacy. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus specifically asked these three men to watch over him as he cried out to his father in agony. And Jesus, the Son of God, needed close friends. The Savior cultivated close relationships. Jesus gave these men access to his identity, his power, his pain, trusting they would keep his confidence. Why else did Jesus, why else did Jesus build these close relationships that were built on truth and trust? I believe this, is that Jesus uses real relationships as the vehicle to accomplish his mission. Close relationships, real relationships is what Jesus uses to accomplish his mission. Jesus' main focus was to build a deep relationship with his disciples and with the three he wanted to reach the masses, no doubt, but instead his focus was on true depth, long-term impact on focusing on a few close relationships. And so in Luke chapter 5, verse 9 through 11, it's Jesus that's building and cultivating these real relationships with these three out of the 12. But to what end should be the question that we ask. But to what end, Jesus tells us, verse 9. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for, what's he say, fish for? People. So they pulled their boats up on shore. And they left everything. And they followed him. What I would argue is if Jesus disciple maker to ever live and he showed us how to do that our life should be modeled and emulated after how he made disciples yes we are called to fish for people but we are called to do it into real relationships you and I we must cultivate real relationships that are built on truth and trust for yourself and the mission as well, just like Jesus did. You're called to do the same. You're called to surround yourself with people that help you in the journey because the journey can be amazing at times and it can be heavy at other times. 
So the question that we all need to ask is, how do you do that? How do you do that? This is how I believe you're called to do it. Number one, real relationships are fostered when you live a life of vulnerability and transparency. Vulnerability and transparency, which those are like super easy to do, right? <laughs> and what is the difference between vulnerability and transparency? The transparency is a clear statement of, 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 of truth. Transparency, I'm being transparent about what I'm sharing with you right now. But transparency, good, is not like vulnerability. Vulnerability is saying something in regards to who you are or where you're at, and as you communicate who you are and where you're at, what you're wrestling with, what that means is that you have no idea how the other person's gonna respond to you. Have you ever done that before? Like, I don't know how this person's gonna respond to me as I'm about ready to share what I'm about ready to share. They may love me, they may reject me, they may shame me, and I don't know how they are going to respond. And Jesus did this over and over again with his disciples. I don't know how they're going to respond to me. That's transparency and vulnerability. And secondly, I would say this. It also means entrusting to people your confidence, entrusting to people your fears, entrusting to people your struggles, your sins, entrusting people to your heart. That's what Jesus is calling you to do. And you know what I'm mean? saying right now? Yeah, I tried that in the church, pastor. <laughs> it didn't work good. There's, there's potential for you to, to get hurt in the church. I don't, I don't know how to say it any other way. You will get hurt in the church. I don't wish that for you. I don't wish that for anybody, myself or anybody else. But what I am asking you to do, that in the midst of the hurt that you've experienced, believing and hoping that Jesus can bring about good out of the hurt, because his word says that. And trusting that if Jesus lived this way, that I, we are called to live that way. We have to enter back in. Some of you have been wounded in your marriage. He's asking you to enter back in. Because Jesus, at the end of the day, died for us to be in relationship with him and relationship with one another. And one another. Real relationships are fostered, number two. When you choose to live selflessly, serve and take an interest in others. Real relations are fostered when you do that. I just want to tell you a really quick story. Got a text message this week from one of our leaders. She said, hey, gal in our church broke her hand and uh, our whole women's group gathered together and said, how can we serve and walk beside her? They rallied about $325 together and said, what do you want to do with it? She's like, I need my house cleaned. Done. How does that happen? When people choose to selflessly serve, 
real relationships get cultivated. Satan's, Satan's grip on relationships gets broken down. And so what does it look like for us to serve one another? To minister to one another. And lastly, real relationships are fostered when you steward someone else's vulnerability and transparency. Have you ever had anybody come to you and share something very significant that's going on in their life and they entrust it to you? Anybody experience that? You've got to steward that well, don't you? You've got to steward that well. What that means is someone's giving you their heart. <laughs> And you've got to carry that with you. Because if you don't do it well, you'll cause hurt. And as we see from Jesus' disciples in these first couple stories, Peter, James, and John, they actually did a good job of carrying Jesus' heart of who he is and what he was revealing to the world really, really well. Next week, we're going to take a look at where they didn't do so well. So this morning, I want to invite you as we get ready to have communion is ask you a couple questions. Number one, will you get connected into a group? Because for us, our groups aren't just groups. What we're trying to experience is that our groups are like how it was with Jesus and his disciples, living real life together, doing life together, being discipled together, being challenged and encouraged together. Number two, will you live a life of transparency and vulnerability? Will you take a risk in your small group? Will you live a life of selflessness and service? Will you steward people's vulnerability and transparency? Here's what I know. If you're willing to pick one of these and lean into it, yes, there's the risk of being hurt, wounded, but I will tell you this. The greatest, greatest things in the church, in the life of the church, I love worshiping with you guys. I love preaching God's word with you guys. But life in Jesus' church is found when we lean into these things Monday to Saturday. Monday to Saturday. So who are your people? I know this isn't like popular anymore, but who are your peeps, right? Who are your peeps? And if it's not a small group, it's not people in the church, Jesus has more for you. Jesus has more for you. As we get ready for communion this morning, if you have not received the elements as we came in this morning and you want to take communion, you want to have a conversation with Jesus and have piece of bread and a cup of juice to represent Jesus' body and blood where he spilled out his blood and laid down his body for you. Have a conversation about the mission that he's called you to. We'd invite you to come to the table because he wants to have a conversation with you about this mission that he's invited all of us into. Let's spend some time with the Lord this morning as we get ready for communion.